Bienvenidos to Merendiando. Today, we have been blessed to have the great Heath V. Salazar as our guest. Heath is a Latinx drag performer, actor, singer, dancer, and writer based in Toronto. Their drag king persona, Gay Jesus, has blessed stages across the city and can now be seen live streamed in performances all over the internet. We talked about Latinx visibility, performing from a closet to a global audience, creating a personal portrayal of their culture on stage, and what it is to be a queer public figure. No matter what you decide to snack on right now, cozy up, settle in, and let's get started. Because we're called merendeando, mm -hmm. we... We love talking about food, you know, la merienda. We know you know what la merienda is. Not really. I didn't know it until the podcast. <gasps> I was like, merendiendo, what's that mean? Sounds sassy, sounds Hispanic, sounds not like anything my parents ever said. Okay. Yeah. Mis papas son colombianos, so like the, but they left in like the 80s. So I didn't even realize till I got Latinx friends, which was you guys. So like that wasn't until like what, two, three years ago? Yeah. That like all my expressions are like from the 80s <laughs> i totally relate yeah no yeah 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 i was like we're stuck oh. in a time capsule and people hear me speak they're like how old are you and also where are you from because some of your expressions are from the 80s and other ones are from three different countries and i'm like sorry sorry i'm just a beautiful blossom of the americas that you know knows no limits now that you know what a merienda is and merienda is really connected to like family or or gatherings uh is there a dish that you're missing right now or a dish that you'll be eating a lot that it reminds you of like your friends or your family weirdly okay hysterically because i'm drinking coffee i like i'm a demon and i just live for coffee but i didn't realize i ran out of the one that i normally drink and because i've been sick on and off i like couldn't uh like get my own groceries so i've had someone else getting them for me And so he picked up like a random bag of like Starbucks coffee the other day. And without thinking, I just like made it and I went to drink it. And then all of a sudden, like all of these memories like flooded into my brain of when I was doing uh, work at Buddy's because every time that I was working on my residency or in rehearsals, I would like stop and get coffee. And it just like, I felt like I, you know, when you like smell it before it like hits your mouth. Yeah. I felt like I was at young in college. And I was like walking up in like the weird, like trudgy rain. And I was like, yeah, it like took me back. It like really yeah. got me. And then yesterday, because it was Mother's Day and today is my mom's birthday. Yo, um, happy birthday, mama. She's so cute. We like, she, we did a Mamma Mia show in drag on Glad Day TV and she tuned in. So she's very excited. And then I Skyped her in full drag, which was really hysterical. And she was about <laughs> it. It was great. Um, but I was like, oh, like, what are you doing with dad? And she was talking about, like, what they were going to, like, eat and stuff. And she makes these, like, tortas, which is so funny because when I lived at home, also tortas for me are cake. Because I know mm, tortas. Oh, yes, yes, we have Mexican tortas. Sandwiches. Yeah, yeah. When I worked yes. at a Mexican restaurant, they were like, tortas, the sandwiches. And I was like, what? These are not tortas. What are you talking about? <laughs> But yep. she was talking about, like, what she was making. And when I lived at home, she's a nutritionist. So she makes these like cakes that are like actually like super healthy for you. But as a child, I was like, this is not cake. This is a lie. <laughs> and I would be yeah. like, these are the worst. Why? And they were like, and especially because she was still like working on her recipes, they were like so dry and like, so she was like 20 billion kinds of like 
flaxseed and like oatmeal and whatever, which now is amazing. And now she knows I make them juicy. But at the time I was like, why am I eating powder? You were experimented upon. Oh, 100%. Her pancakes are like three inches thick. Like it's like ridiculous. But when she was talking about it, I could like taste it in my mouth while she was just like describing what she was cooking. And I was like, oh my God, like 17 year old me did not even know. So like tortas, AKA cake (laughs) and coffee. Yeah. Which is like quintessential Colombian snack time. That sounds so good. And like, yeah, it's so linked, like the smell, the power of smell. Mm. So wild. I, even when you described yes. the trudgy rain, I was there with you. Well, yeah, we used to walk around that area a lot. That used to be maybe a route that you took a lot. And now mm. you're doing so much from the very closet that you are sitting in right now. <laughs> I know. Like your closet is what? It's like a magical portal to different realms. I call it Narnia. But yeah, this is my new home now, my new workspace, my office. What has changed since this pandemic for you? Honestly, I had to learn really strictly how to delegate taking care of my body because it's basically like the weekend that we started to go into like lockdown stuff and people were being told to go home the Monday before that. So March 9th, I happened to get a cold. And so, but my body was like exhausted, but it felt the way it does like the day before you get a cold. Do you know what I mean? And I was like, "Mm, I don't want to take risks. So I had to like So I like canceled stuff. I had like a film class and stuff and I just canceled things. And I was like, it's better to be safe. And then that Friday, boy band was supposed to perform at the fundraiser for Otso Tin. And we had to cancel because they were like, if you don't feel well, stay home. And I was like, I can't do it. But then normally it's like very bad that I will like push my body, especially because we work in an industry and where like you don't get sick days, right? I'm like, it takes, like I have to be, I have to have a fever in bed with body aches for me to cancel a gig ever. So, which is not good, but also it's like, it's the nature of our work to a certain extent. And so all of a sudden when like lives and things started out with the lockdown, my brain was like, first of all, I was like, what is alive? And then second of all, I was like, oh yeah, like I need to like do this and I need to like be productive and I need to this and this. But I was like in my bed and any time that I used too much energy, I was like knocked out. And so I was like, okay, you need to be self-disciplined and understanding that like this is a time where your only job is to take care of your body. Because if you don't, you endanger yourself, you endanger other people, like that's it. Mm-hmm. And it's really like jarring that we live in a world where like it took a pandemic for me to prioritize my health in that way. Like I prioritize my health normally and like coming from musical theater, I'm very trained to like be aware of my body, be aware of my health and like take my vitamins and all that stuff. But this brought me a new form of awareness of I'm like, I thought I was taking care of myself until I realized how much I was actually ignoring and how much Mm -hmm. I was just pushing aside or pushing past that I shouldn't have been and it really made me aware of that and how much and because rent wise and such I had to start working while I was still sick I was like okay how am I able to work in ways where I'm not burning myself out and then also it gave me a very stark awareness of how much energy performance from home takes right like I was like this is chill. I'll get into drag. I'll like do my little five minute number and I'll dip and I'll go to bed. But because it's right there next to you. Yeah. But there's, I was like, this is great. I don't have to take a cab $50 less than I spend in a day. That's beautiful. 
But then I was like, no, like it takes an incredible amount of energy. And there's been discussion around the weirdness of energy because your brain doesn't fully register that you're spending it with people. Totally. And so it's like trying to figure out, I'm like, okay, how are ways that like, I like, for example, if I'm on Zoom, I'll like put gallery mode so that I can see people. So my brain is like, okay, I'm interacting with lots of people. It's not just me. And like doing things like that or like having certain points of being like, okay, like you have this in this gig, you're not going to take more than that or your body's going to freak out. And it's like really delegating how that space is out. And then I just do terrible things like be like, like I'll get excited be like, yeah, I'll do this thing. And then I feel it in my body. Like I'm so aware of it. So I think the biggest thing has been like the, the, the price and the cost that my body pays for gigs and how to like nurture it and balance it, which I think is going to be really important moving forward. So speaking about doing all your shows in your room, how do you prep? Like, have you been writing new stuff or have you been adapting to your closet and your room? Both. When I started, I thought it would be so easy. I was like, I have so many acts. I have so many, like, acts that I've like developed over time, ones that I've done one-offs. I'm like, I can just get in this bank. Like I have an entire folder. I have two separate folders just full of like full lists of my acts. And I was like, I'll just be able to pop in. And like, I have the costumes because I can't buy new stuff. Right. So I was like, we're just going to use what we have. But many of them do not work (laughs) in my closet. And especially because like my main space, I can't make noise for my neighbors because half the time the gigs are like past 6 p.m., right? Totally. All of them. And then, so, and like, I don't know if my neighbors fully know what I do either. So I'm just like, we're just not even, (laughs) we're not even going to go there. But then I also was like, okay, well, like with construction in my building and like with sound and hallway, like everything, I'm like, what is the place I can work best in? So I'm in my closet. But then the movement that I normally do I can't like, I can only dance like front and back. And I have the longest gangless arms in the world. And like, they can't go sideways. <laughs> like, I'll just hit right. So just to describe to people who are listening, if you stretch your arms side to side, oh. can you extend? No. It's more like elbow. It's my elbow to elbow and like on an angle. Like they're not even straight. Yeah. If I strained it yeah. out, it would open the door because okay. my arms are ridiculously long. Awesome. So you kind of have like a runway. A little small yeah, runway for yourself. A tiny okay. itty bitty runway. It's super yeah. cute and tiny. And I have my my laptop is sitting on a my dresser. <laughs> yeah, amazing. And you're used to playing all sorts of theaters, all sorts of venues all around Toronto. Oh, like big I stages. Think in a way, the all nice that. part is that I was like, okay, like this is an adjustment, but also in drag and even in theater, I'm like, we've worked some weird spaces. We have used a hallway as a dressing room. We've used the backspace next to a keg to change our gowns. Like we go in there like barefoot to a bar, especially in the beginning. Like now I know to let people know, like I'm doing an act barefoot. What is the stage like or whatever? Like, but in the beginning, I didn't know. And I was like, I would walk in barefoot to this like (laughs) cut up stage. And I was like, whoa. And it was like, you plan for like a full dance and it's like three by three feet or you are like oh I'll do this little subtle thing and then your audience is like a million feet away so you're like okay we're adjusting so I was like you know what think of it as like a tiny little stage like a little runway stage and like just figure it out and then when I started adjusting things I was like okay we're gonna need to test everything but then I also realized that I was like all right well because 
also like working in film, I didn't realize that I was like, the depth and things would change the perspective of how people are able to see my performances. So I do a lot of, for example, like hand, like little hand movements and stuff that I was like, I can use isolation in a way that I want to use. Cause often when I develop an act, sometimes I envision it. I often design it specifically for the space I'm making it in. But sometimes when I design things, I want to be able to have like certain subtleties in them and isolations in them that don't always work for certain stages. And I was like, oh, I can do that here. I can do an act where I only move one body part at a time. I can like use my hand and put it forward more so it looks way bigger than my face and change something that's happening back here while people are looking at this hand and then like switch. So it's kind of nice in that I was like, okay. And weirdly, I thought I would be adjusting all my old acts and I've made so many more new ones because I was like, you know what? Like, it's like exciting. And I'm like using random stuff I find in my house and I'm like, let's do it. Or like someone has a theme and I'm like, woohoo. And like, it's been really fun, honestly. Like once I adjusted to what was happening, I was like, listen, like this is all I can do and all I have. And like, the nice part is I was talking to some other performers because someone was like, I haven't done a live yet. Like, how do we do it? And we're like, just do whatever you want. We're like, there's no rules, right? Like there's no standard, there's no rules, there's no wrong answer. So we're like, and if it doesn't work, then like, well, I'll just laugh. (laughs) Like, There's nothing else you can do your live. You're like, in we go. And we do weird stuff live all the time in shows anyway. But now we just have to like see ourselves doing it. (laughs) So it's like weird, but. That's true. That's the thing too. You're watching yourself while you perform. Oh, it's weird. Is that, yeah. Is that your experience? Yeah. Some parts of it are weird. Some parts of it are very helpful. So like while I'm, it's nice because I have certain control over like, normally in stage wise, I never see what's happening until I see a video of it afterwards on like Instagram. And then I'm like, oh, that's what that looked like. Cool. And some performers will film their performances in advance, but because my house is so small, I like, I often don't know about things until they're happening. Like I once did a gig where I had these like pleather boots and I was wearing uh, a wedding dress. And then when I was walking in my house, it was fine. But at the gig, I figured out that because I could do longer strides, the crinoline sticks to the pleather and I was just ready to fall every second. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now I'm able to test things fully in advance. I can test it with my camera. So when I'm making something, I can really fine tune what I want. And also in the moment, if I'm doing something random, And I'm like, oh, I like how that looks. I'm like, great, let's keep it. I can like really design what I want my audience to get to experience, which is really exciting for me. And it's, I'm just trying to think of it as like an entirely new medium of fusing kind of drag and film together and live performance and just like doing whatever I want with it. Because I was like, some parts are weird, but also normally the weird thing is too, is like normally my work in drag specifically is really political and really like in my mind it's very normal but like in perspective of like what drag normally like every day is seen as is very like avant-garde and it's funny because now I'm like normally that's what I need what my body like asks for what my brain is thinking about and what I want my audience to be like interacting with as a form of like empowerment and engagement in their community and their lives. But now because of what's happening, I just want them to laugh because in the first like two weeks where like I was like 
most sick and like my brain was adjusting to what was happening and like all that was happening. The things that got me out of it were things that were like, like nailed it, like the cake show where they yeah. cakes. Or like someone would go online, a friend of mine is doing this thing called corn titties where she flashes the camera once a day. <laughs> like, it's so funny. And I was like, you know what? I just want to make stuff that lets people laugh because someone, the CBC was taking submissions for articles and they were like, you can write about whatever you want. If you can get there, you can write about funny, something funny. And if not, don't. And I was like, if you can get there, I was like, yeah. And by that point, I was like laughing more and whatever. And I was like, oh, like my biggest pain up until now was that I wasn't like a billionaire. So I can't like buy people apartments or like pay off their mortgage or pay their rent or whatever, buy them food. But then I was like, my currency right now is my joy. And if I can use that in the same way that I would think of finances in a way of like cultivating it to be able to spread it more to other people, then like I can have that as currency instead. And so that's how I'm thinking about in terms of like performances and stuff. So oddly, I spent a lot of time laughing in my closet by myself, dancing in dresses so I can make other people laugh too. I was thinking about that, about like how you, because when when we seen you perform, a lot of the stuff you do is it's really political and it's really like you have a message behind it. It's always really well thought to be like, this is entertaining, but this is also, I'm telling you something like, you better listen. <laughs> but now also it's like your audience has changed because like if you go to virtual rooms, it's people from all over the world. Yeah, I did not expect that. Especially with like, for example, like Club Quarantine. Like they grew so fast that Instagram shut them down because they thought they were a scam. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so like... Called going viral. Right? That's and it's like Andres Sierra, who we like know is like our beloved Andres. Do you know what I mean? Um, Club Quarantine had me on and I was like, cool. And it was like, it had already like boomed a little bit. But I did it again this past Saturday and people were listing where they were from. And it was the whole world. And I was mm-hmm. like... Oh my gosh. And even that's the beauty too of like online. I, it's so funny. This makes me sound like an old man, but I'm, I'm just like inside an old man. Um, so many people within my generation and younger have learned drag through the internet. And a lot of them have connected with each other through the internet and like Instagram and whatever. I went into drag with basically like no knowledge of it really besides what I had seen immediately at shows. And I had a very limited amount of what I had seen because I was not, I didn't really have like community yet and stuff. So it's really funny. Cause then like a lot of people have been like, yeah, like I learned so much from like online and stuff. Whereas like it never even occurred to me because when I first Googled drag Kings, there was like not a lot online that it never occurred to me that there's more now. And mm-hmm. so, like, because of virtual shows and all that stuff, now is the time that I'm, like, learning from, like, Kings Online or, like, I made friends with the king, Ricky Rosé, who's, like, in the U.S. and is Puerto Rican and, like, does a Latinx drag show of kings that are all, like, all Latinx kings on, like, Wednesdays. And it's, like, I was, like, I didn't even know y'all were out there. Like, their drag names are in Spanish and it's the coolest thing in the whole world. Like Amazing. It's, like, it's incredible about... uh how like a message can now be 
carried through the internet all over the world mm. and also the connections that we're making. It's amazing. It made me realize like how much bigger our planet is like not planet planet, but like the possibility of our community because here like I forget that like in the US like there was a performer the other day that was saying like when they perform and even like they perform out of Miami androgen they're Latinx king and they mm. were saying how they're like yeah like here if you meet someone who's white you're like where are you from though and they're like white like Latino white like they're just like light skin but then they met someone once and they're like oh I'm just white and they're like yeah but from where and they're like oh I'm just white and they were like what because <laughs> apparently it just like doesn't happen and I was like you mean you have more than like five Latinx people in a room at a time? You what you have that? enough data to like be specific about right? everyone's different history? Yeah, that's awesome. Blew yeah. my mind. I was like, that's the coolest thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's super exciting. Do you want there to be more Latinx representation in drag? Like oh, what, yeah. what would your vision be? Oh, I I would want there to be so many Latinx drag performers that I wouldn't be able to keep track. Like I would live, it's so, when I started working with Pretty Ricky, one of the things that I really loved about why, what he was doing was that he was like, I want to be able to create spaces so that I get put out of a job because there's so, it creates more spaces and there are so many gigs for Kings that I can't work, like to that point. And I was like, that is the best mentality to have when you're trying to like grow community to be like, I just want this to go. And I've seen the way that that has grown so much and the way that he's like mentored people and created space in that way. And I was like, the other day I was making a list of Latinx drag performers and it was so short. And I had to end up making a list of just like Latinx artists that I knew. And I was like, there are many of us but I was like, it's still too short. And I was like, that is not enough. That is not. And I was like, I know we're here. So I want to be able to like, yeah, be able to have so many that I like forget how many Hmm. there are. Like, I want to be able to like, not have to like make a list because I can't find them. I want to be able to make a list because I'm like, I'm losing track. I want to make sure (laughs) I have them all down. That's the level I want. Something else that I noticed, like, because I've seen you perform a lot of times because I adore you. But also something that I've seen a lot is like you connect your drag so much with your roots. Mm -hmm. Like your drag aesthetic and your drag is really connected to who you are as a Latinx person. Has Do you think that because of drag you've been able to uh, reconnect even more with like your culture and like traditions with your family or like with Colombia? Honestly, a lot of it has been because of you two. I'm not even going to lie. Like, flat out, I didn't even realize till the other day. I was talking to my best friend, and we were talking about my history of, like, relationship to having POC friends. And I didn't realize that I didn't really have any until, like, Monica, until we had met. And then I started meeting our whole, like, Latinx circle. When I thought you were white. Literally. Okay, so we met at Buddy's. And Monica was like, who is this person? And I literally was like, Monica was standing there. And I was like, do you want to sit? And Monica was like, no, thanks. And I was like, okay. And then I just like sat there. Awkward. I was so nervous. It's for Queer Cab. And I'd never been there before. And I was by myself. And I was like, oh my God. Uh, Monica eventually, 
was like, oh yeah, I'm Mexican. And I was like, I'm Colombian. And she was like, no, you're not. <laughs> and I, was like, I swear to God. And she was like, okay, speak Spanish. So we had a whole conversation in Spanish. And then she was like, okay, maybe. <laughs> I grew up in Sudbury, Ontario, which is like five hours north from here. And like my sister and I were like the immigrant kids in our school. And like, we didn't really have a lot of PLCs growing up. Like when I came here and my best friend was like, yeah, I grew up in the GTA and like most of my school, it was like, it was all mixed. Like there was barely any white people really, like there was a couple. I was like, that only happens on like TV in like the US. I was like, that's crazy. But then like when I went to college here, it was for musical theater and it was in the years right before diversity became such a heavy conversation. So most of my term was white and like most of my school was white. There was one other Latina in the entire school. And as soon as we met, we're like, we're family. <laughs> but like, that was it. And then there's like a couple other POCs, but like there's probably like off the top of my head, like I could name five, maybe seven, max 10, like in the whole school. And yeah. then when I graduated, I was working in indie theater in Toronto, which is primarily what and like it's <laughs> changing now but like it was I didn't realize until like last week how long I went where my circles were like just mostly white people and like mm -hmm. anytime I made connection with a POC I was like this is sacred and like that was just it getting to have Latinx friends was just mind-blowing to me First of all, because all the expressions were new. <laughs> yes. But second of all, <laughs> all the slang. <laughs> I'd never had people my age who were Latinx. I'd never had that. Like the only people were like my cousins, but like that was it. Mm -hmm. And I was just like mind blown. And then like you spend so much time and it's so complicated, right? Like being Colombian in a really white town and then also being light skinned. My but then my sister isn't. And like my parents never had the conversation with us about like the shades of our skin or anything like we just never talked about it and so I didn't understand necessarily like why my body was different or like why the way our families worked were different like all that kind of stuff like you're a child right and you're navigating like really extreme circumstances um so I had to work on for years dismantling so much like internalized racism and then when I was starting to consider transitioning, I thought about it for three years before I actually started chemically transitioning. And because one day the thing that like sparked it was a friend of mine was like, oh yeah, like you not only would be like then presenting as a man, but you would be presenting as like a Latino man. And I was like, oh. And I didn't realize till that moment how much I was holding in relationship to that. Cause I was like, what does that even mean to me? Like, what is my relationship to that? What is my relationship to like, what it would mean to look in the mirror and see the face of someone who like to me for so long represents like machismo, but then also is like my cousins who I love very much. Like, what is that? And like, what do I want to be within that? So that started. And then I met the Latinx circle that I have now. And it made me realize that I was like, there are so many other possibilities of what it looks like to be Latinx that like it doesn't have to be like the limits of what I was prescribed, especially because like growing up within like a very Roman Catholic family, they were like, you will grow up 
you will be a wife. Like my dad, my whole life was like, listen, you're going to get married and you're going to be a virgin till then. And even when you're married, you're not ready. You can still wait. And I was like, okay. So like, that is like the world I came from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I was like, what is my life without that? And then as a queer person, what is that? And then as a transcript, what I like, what is all of this? But then yeah, having people around me and seeing like 30 different examples of what it is to be Latinx, I was like, oh, Sunny Drake, when I was doing the Emerging Creators Unit at Buddies one day, was like, what would queerness be to you if queerness wasn't in opposition to straight, to being straight? Because it's not. Because otherwise you're just constantly in relationship to this other thing. But he was like, it's not that. So what if queerness was your joy? What if it was your culture? What if it was the things that make you laugh, the things that make you grieve? And it made me think differently about it. And then when I go into drag stuff, it's really complicated because there's so much cultural appropriation within drag and I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I had to like dig initially. Cause I was like, what can I do? Cause I was like, I don't only want to do work by white artists, but I don't feel right doing content that I feel is like culturally appropriative depending on like the, the type of POC artist that I, whose music I want to interpret. Right. I'm like, some music is not for me to lip sync to, you know? Uh, but then I was like, <laughs> some stuff is not for me to touch either. So I was like, what yeah. is that? And even like within Latinx music, cause I was like, Oh, I'll do lots of Latinx music. I was like, some of that is also not for me to touch. Right. Like as a light skin Latinx person. And so I was like, okay, like what is that? And then it really made me investigate. Like, I was like, okay, but like, we can't just be out here like doing these Latinx songs without understanding like why and what that means to us and like what it even means for me. Like what is my relationship to being Latinx? And like, that's ever changing. But I was like, mm -hmm. okay, like I used to have this mix, like the first ever Latinx mix I made. It was just like this mash, like a, a mess of music that I was like, I have this one and this one and this one. And it was like this exploration of like machismo into like feminism, into like queerness. What was like a song on that list? Oh my God. Uh, Suavemente obviously was on it. Obviously. Um, mm -hmm. There was Safari, which is a reggaeton song. But yeah, it was like so sick. But then as that went on and as my relationship to like having more POCs in my life and like understanding my queerness more and my like culture more, and also like over the years, researching the history of my country. Cause I never got to have that. Like I always had like history lessons about Canada, which are bullshit. And I was like, okay, well, what's my history? What's my relationship to that? And it really helped me embrace my culture more and helped me understand more. Cause like to a certain extent you grow up and my parents are like, we brought you here to give you a better future and like whatever, whatever. But I never understood the context of like what that actually meant in the like very immediate consequence way I never really mm -hmm. understood because so much of me was like angry that I didn't get to stay back home like I didn't like if it had been up to me I wouldn't have left Colombia right like I mean I was mm -hmm. an egg and a sperm but you know what I mean <laughs> yeah it's like I was like I joke that like there's a Jesse Reyes song she's also Colombian and from the GTA yeah. Um, that she's like imported <laughs> and I'm like, yes, we're imported. But for the longest time I felt like I was like robbed of like me you know? And mm -hmm. I was like, okay, well I can't in many ways, like, cause so many queer spaces 
asked me to like perform my Latinidad as a performance. And I don't want that. I was mm. like, I want to create because it's a part of me. Like just how my work is political. It's because it's a part of me, not because I'm like, oh, I'm going to make political work. So as I deepened my relationship to what it meant for me to like understand my lineage more and what it meant for me to understand like my history more and what it meant to me, then that's when my creations I felt were like more uh, deepened because before it felt like I was like putting it on. And even the way that I chose, I was like, oh, this is like the POC show. So I like, I have to do like this one to like show. Cause also because I'm nice guy, I'm like, I swear I'm Colombian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then yeah, I was yeah. like, this isn't a performance. I was like, every show I do is Colombian because I'm Colombian. Do you know what I mean? But then yes. I was like, what is this? I was like, I don't want to just have like, and here's the Latino number because you wanted that token. And I'm like, no, that's not it. And I was like, I'm very selective about like there's certain spaces like where I will not perform a Spanish song because I know that I'll be fetishized. And I'm like, fuck you. Fuck uh, you, pay me. Uh, but then in other spaces, I'm like, I will do it as a celebration to like celebrate with people. And other times I'm like, I'm going to do this because you don't want to hear it. And I don't care if you understand the lyrics because it's not mm -hmm. about you right now and mm -hmm. so it's really changed the way that I like delegate how I create my performances and why I make them. Keith it's so good to hear about your process you know because it feels like a very embodied connected pert character. Okay, Jesus feels very like well-rounded I don't know not fetishized to me so it's Thanks. just really cool to hear your your process behind it yeah. Yeah it's really complicated. And I feel like it's all about the context too. Like you're yeah. in a Toronto context most of the time. Now it's like global mm -hmm. digital stage, but yeah, That's it's like, bananas. yeah. So it's how do you navigate this audience? Yeah. I, I want to talk about gay Jesus. <laughs> do people ever expect you to be like gay Jesus off stage? And does that cut you off guard? All the time. All the time. Y'all, it's a show. Like, I'm like, I am paid to perform for five minutes depending on the show okay like it's like it's so bizarre I think in a way I was able to clock it because of theater because I used to get that when I started my theater career where people would be like hi after a show and I'm like you want to date the character you don't even know me <laughs> I was like I can't help you 100%. it blew my mind because I was like you don't know me mm -hmm. and I think because I'm pan and so like my attraction to people is very much based in personality, like just flat out. And so it's funny too, because then I can't like, my brain doesn't understand how people can be like, I'm attracted to you. I'm like, this makes no sense. You don't even know me. Yeah, like, no idea. No sense. But it also is complicated because like in drag, it's really weird because the gay Jesus thing blew up like very fast. I didn't see it coming because to me I was so new that around me everyone was like the coolest person in the world like I was performing with my favorite kings and I was like this is the coolest day of my life so I felt really nerdy and green but then other people I, I didn't put together that like other people would see this like sexy persona like baba and so people be like hi and I was like I don't understand <laughs> I was like I'm new and I'm awkward and I'm a weird and I was like what's happening and then it became weird because socially and like social media wise and like that kind of stuff it pushes that persona even more and like yes yeah, Jesus is fabulous Jesus is like such a good time but also I'm like often when people will 
approach me or even like want to hang out with me, they want like a show. And I'm like, either I'm off the clock or like, I only take my clothes off on stage because I want to under my terms and you don't get to touch me. Like the thing that gets complicated is when you get off stage, it, there's like this weird thing that happens with my work when because a lot of it is political and some pieces are more like emotional. It's also very like sexy that yeah. like people have this fuse of like emotional and like sexy time like feelings all at once and then so they feel feel super close to you which is like awesome but then it gets tricky where people then feel like entitled to me and I'm like that's where it gets weird because if someone just like meets me I think the best compliment I've ever gotten was from dream boy who's a drag king from Montreal and we hung out out of drag for the first time after like a year of knowing each other and they were like Honestly, I love Jesus, but I think I love Heath more. No offense. And I was like, that is so kind. Meaning because I'm like, you've uh. seen this persona of me for like a year. But the fact that you're able to say that means that you actually took the time to listen to me as a person because I can tell when people don't. And I'm like, hilariously, I didn't even realize it till I was in quarantine, but gay Jesus is so much shyer than Heath. Like Heath is like way sassier. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And like out of drag, Heath is like, you know, sassy, fiery monster. So it's really funny because I was like, oh, that's so, I didn't even realize it. But it's also because I'm like, when I'm in drag, I'm like, I'm being professional. I'm working. I'm like doing the thing. Yeah, it's really bizarre because sometimes people will get to know me and they're like, oh, you're weird. Like my, one of my best friends made a meme of me. And like, one of them is like this like gorgeous, like stunning dog. And she was like, this is gay Jesus. And then she was like, this is when I get to know you. And it was the dog from Coco that's like, I was like, yes. I can always tell if someone genuinely wanted to get to know me because this sounds bad, but I can like see the disappointment in their face when I'm not performing for them. And it's a weird thing that I had to like make peace with because if I'm like genuinely interested in being friends with someone, when it first started happening, I was like, oh, this sucks to like watch someone be disappointed that you're not what they wanted of you. Uh-huh. it like hurts because part of you is like am I like not like a interesting enough person do you just want to hang out with <laughs> do you know what I mean but then I was like oh that's not on me and I also was like you know what like at the end of the day if you're someone who only values the image of me that you made for yourself and only values because sometimes and like this sounds bad but like it's true like sometimes people will try to use me or relationship to me. I like I also wonder if it has something to do with like you're a public figure, obviously, but like the burlesque aspect of what you do. Cause I think sometimes when sexuality gets put into the performances, people are like, I don't know, the boundaries get all blurred. So I'm just wondering, like mm-hmm. in your do you have any tips for people maybe who are getting into burlesque? How do you stay safe or like boundaries that have been effective for you? I know like when you have a really good host, it's very helpful because often they will explain to the audience. They're like, These, this is the deal. They're like, you don't touch performers, you cheer, whatever, whatever. But sometimes you go into spaces and you don't have that. So I now create a sort of writer, like a subtle writer, where I make sure when I go into a space just off the bat, I have somewhere I can change that's private. There are no cameras in the space that I'm in. And uh, I let them know that no one can touch me. So like, cause I'll like 
perform for like concerts or like this and that. And like, you'll be in like a really weird space. And so you don't know if someone's going to be like, Hey, like promoting this on Instagram, whatever. And then my butt's in the background. And I'm like, if you want my butt, you have to pay for it. Yes. You can't just have it. But also it lets the producer know in advance that you're like, we're not messing around. And like, if you need to set a boundary, set it. It was so hard for me for a very long time to know that I was entitled to putting my foot down, especially within performance spaces where like we work in bars, you know, and it's like super casual because your producer is your friend or you want to be friends with your producer or like blah, blah, blah. Or like, it's brutal. But like, if I look at the history of my career in performance, the amount of inappropriate circumstances that I've dealt with, with like producers and like coworkers and like whatever, whatever, I'm like, no, like no one gets to do that. And it's weird because it stopped. Why? Because people know my gay Jesus name on the internet now. And I'm like, that's not okay. You can't only respect me because if I say something about it online or whatever that, and because I've established like a reputation of respect, um, which I'm very proud of and I work really hard on. And so people know that if I were to say something that like something has to be up. Do you know what I mean? So I'm like, for people who are like new and stuff, I'm like, when I was new, I didn't feel like I could say anything. I'm like, put your foot down. I don't care if that producer doesn't hire you again. That person will just continue to take advantage of you. Don't work with them. There are other producers that you can work with who will have spaces established where you are safe. And also you can create your own spaces no matter how new you are. Jordan Alexander, who's a friend of mine, was the person who changed the game for me because we were talking about that kind of stuff. And she was like, no. Like she just was like flat out. She was like, this is our community and we get to decide what it looks like. And we get to decide what the future of it looks like and how it moves forward. And if we are not making those active decisions, then we are just as responsible for the negativity that will come of it. And she's like, you get to put your foot down about this and you get to establish what the standards that we hold in our, in our community are. And so Mm -hmm. that would be what I would say to someone new. Someone once said to me early on in my career, they're like, don't start your career by showing yourself what you're willing to concede. And I very much live by that. So if gay Jesus and Hitza Lazar were having a merienda, <laughs> what would be on the menu? Oh my gosh, my mom's pollo sudado. For sure, we're gonna have, oh my God, I can pick whatever I want. If I could choose anything, fantasy world, I would feed the world. It would be like, heat will bring the food and gay Jesus will multiply it and then yes. use delivery. Yes, that would be my dream. A global merienda. We could feed everyone, make sure everyone is safe, and then we could all sit and have a chat. No one would be hangry. And we'd all be able to take care of each other. That's super like fantasy, but I'm like, that is my dream. Thank you so much for being here on this Zoom chat from your closet with us. Oh, thanks for having me. This podcast is recorded in Toronto or Dogarondo the territory of the Anishinaabe Nation, the Wendat Nation, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, and nations recorded and unrecorded. We are deeply thankful to these nations for stewarding the land so that we might live in peace and respect for each other. As it is outlined in the Dish with One Spoon One Pup, that all people who live here, settlers, indigenous folks, and others, must adhere to. Radio Aluna Teatro is produced by Aluna Theater with the support from the Metcalf Foundation, the Late Law Foundation, the Canada Council for the Arts, the Ontario Arts Council, and the Toronto Arts Council. Aluna Theater is Beatriz Pisano and Trevor Schwellness with Sue Ballant and Gia Namens. 
Radio Aluna Theater is produced by Camila Diaz Varela and Monica Garrido. For more about Aluna Theater, visit us at alunatheater.ca, follow at Aluna Theater on Twitter or Instagram, or like us on Facebook. Follow and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Miigwech and Yawangoa. <laughs>